At Northrop Grumman, cybersecurity is at the core of everything we do. Our cyber workforce is defining possible every day in an environment that fosters talent and rewards excellence. Northrop Grumman needs cyber professionals like you to join our team to help defend our nation and its allies. We have openings in Maryland, Northern Virginia, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Tampa, Florida. To begin your journey with us, visit our careers webpage, northropgrumman.com forward slash careers. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report's weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Joining us today is my good friend, retired United States Army Colonel and legendary aviator and cyber guru, J.C. Vega, a former chief information security officer for a leading cybersecurity company. He's got a lot of experience in that field. His last job in the United States Army before retiring was as co-founder and a director of the Army Cyber Institute at the United States Military Academy at West Point. JC, always an honor and pleasure having you on. Glad to be here, Vago. Uh, and before we get started, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. GM Defense sponsors our technology coverage. And L3 Harris sponsors our coverage of joint all domain command and control. JC, thanks very much again uh, for joining us. You know, um, obviously Russia uh, is uh, at war uh, against Ukraine, but also to an extent against the international community in terms of uh, the um, sanctions that have been imposed on Moscow, um, there were widespread warnings that Russia would mount a major cyber operation before invading Ukraine, and that the Russians would massively retaliate uh, against the West uh, in, in response uh, to sanctions imposed in the wake of this invasion. There were some offensive cyber operations uh, before the Ukraine invasion. Uh, there were denial of service attacks, but it was relatively limited in scope or certainly appeared that way. And then there was you know, an expectation of major cyber operations against the West. We've got a couple of incidents that may or may not be attributed to the Russians. British Airways had to cancel flights over the weekend. Motorola reported factory uh, and production line um, uh, outages, uh, and they blamed a cyber attack. Uh, we saw that there may or may not have been an issue with Teams uh, today and with, with Microsoft. Um, uh, you know, but but those those could have been normal outages. They could be, have been hacked of it. They could have been any one of a number of folks. You know, you've been in this game for a long time. What's the latest threat information, and what are the threat vectors that folks should be preparing for at this point? You know, we we look at this right now from looking at our own infrastructure, and so uh, we always talk about you have to have you have to be able to identify what the risks that you have within your own environment. That means you have to have the visibility and you have to have the asset management and you have to be able to be able to scan and, and have the ability to observe if something is occurring in your network. And if you don't have those things, you're going to be exposed because you're going to be blind to any activity. So that's a number one basic challenge that we have to have. You can't defend if you can't see it. So that, that's number one. What are these threats going to look like? Well, that's going to depend on who the aggressor is, because we talked about, you talked about Russia, but there's more adversaries out there. There are more threats out there than just Russia. And the targets that they would attack vary based on their motivations. So it's a very, it's more complex of a question 
that I can't just give you a very simple answer on that one, but I'm sure we're going to touch on that. Um, I, I, I'd like to, right? I mean, so what is this? So on the one hand, we're looking and telling people, hey, listen, we should be preparing uh, as uh, the National Security Agency, the FBI, uh, CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, right? I mean, put these bulletins out saying, hey, you know, there, there could be an offensive uh, Russian state threat vector. So how do you protect against a, a state threat vector? Uh, on the other hand, we know that hacktivists are um, are forces that are marshaled by our adversaries very effectively, whether they're Russians, uh, whether they're Chinese, whether they're North Koreans, uh, in fact, even Iranians, in, in fact, even terror groups were, were doing this. Um, and then, you know, on, on top of that, you have the ransomware concern, right, which is a simmering issue. Uh, and, and obviously, if you're Russia, you may unchain all of these different elements. Does that change the defensive picture? Uh, for you as, it, as somebody who's been in the game for a long time? It, it does, because traditionally a nation state is not going to necessarily ransom your systems. So you don't have to, I wouldn't say you don't have to protect, that's not the right statement. It's less likely that a nation state is going to be after monetary gain. Now there's exceptions to that, North Korea, which that's uh, the game that they that they play. But in this case here, you're looking at Russia that is a little bit unhinged and what you could expect from them might be different than before because of the way they're they're behaving and the way the outcome of the current situation is for them. But that being said, you know, they do team up with uh, organized crime. So there is something to be said for that. But here's the, uh, the, the I wouldn't say the red herring, but the, uh, the, the big question mark. It's who else is out there hacking and on what is their objective? So you, you mentioned Russia. I mentioned North Korea. Uh, there's been talk about uh, you know, whether China or Russia are in collusion or working together, maybe not on this, but maybe on similar targets. But then we're hearing the hacktivists that are out there now, that there's a whole paramilitary cyber warfare going on or where different uh, groups, we, we heard about Conti saying that they're going to attack uh, anybody that threatens Russia. And then we hear of other hacktivists that are being mobilized to attack uh, Russian infrastructure. So now we have hacktivists that we don't have the predictability of what they will do and where they will attack. And that creates a whole nother set of problems for the actual combatants, because they don't have the accountability or responsibility and cannot be uh, held to the same uh, standards of, of this type of operation the way governments can. So that opens up a whole lot of uh, trouble for defenders. And, and so how do you prioritize this, right? I mean, in, in the end, uh, everything is about, uh, you know, there, there's no amount of resources that are finite, uh, right? I mean, even the United States with the best funded military comes up against, uh, um, you know, needs to do some kind of prioritization, right? If everything's important, nothing's important. How, uh, JC, to, should folks be uh, looking at the threat and how should they be prioritizing it from your standpoint? So traditionally, we would say they're going to, uh, nation state against nation state is going to attack uh, national assets. 
things are going to impact the outcome of the of the war or or the attack or the the event that the conflict. And so a nation state is going to look for strategic things with strategic objectives. So critical infrastructure that is going to stop the war machine. So, you know, you've heard you may have heard that they're going to attack the trains that are refueling, that are resupplying the, the Russian army. Uh, it's because that's how that's how you cut an, an army from fighting is you cut off the logistics. Uh, they, you can't supply them. You, you cut it off. Now, is that going to be limited to Ukraine or is that going to extend to the rest of the Western world? How what critical infrastructure are they going to are they potentially going to attack so that they could have this desired outcome? Now, we crushed. Uh, their financial system through the sanctions that the free world has imposed on Russia, are they potentially going to attack the financial system in kind to create the same kind of hardship uh, on the rest of the world as is imposed on them? Now, that's one thing you can probably assess that, yeah, that is a likely target. Now, what other things are they going to attack? Uh, you hear about the sanctions on air travel or, or ships moving. Now, are they going to attack uh, the flow of commerce? Because that would also have a devastating impact on the free world, similar to that, the impact that it's having on Russia. And so are they going to go in kind? But then you see some of these other hacks from hacktivists that they're attacking uh, charging stations. And they're saying, you know, derogatory things about Putin and things like that on these charging stations. But is that affecting Putin and his decision making? Or is that affecting the people who are also against that? So now the this support group, possibly, we have the potential of turning them against the, the, the people who think they're doing a good thing, but they're actually uh, muddying the waters there because they're creating some kind you're now attacking the people. And so if groups like the Conti group that are, I'm just picking them out because there's a lot of press on them, are they going to attack non-critical infrastructure or attack people more directly than just uh, limited military or strategic targets? That's the part that it spreads out to where now all of us have to be on alert on any unusual traffic that we would see in our network. Now, what you do see is you see a lot of uh, companies that are banding together, sharing information, uh, unlike before, to be able to identify anything that's an anomaly, anything that uh, we could pick out, say, okay, that is a bad actor there, and we could quickly ascertain and put out a fix and share it with the community and everybody respond. But the thing is, though, you just increase the attack surface by, I'll call them paramilitary, but these hacktivists involved in, in, in the fight. JC, um, you know, you just uh, mentioned financial institutions. Uh, you know, when you started uh, the Army, uh, when you co-founded the Army Cyber Institute, um, you, you, and, and somebody who had been in this field before, uh, there was a lot of concern, for example, uh, about uh, the security of financial institutions. Uh, and in the wake of a whole series of uh, assaults, uh, the financial industry got its game uh, together. Um, we're much better about backing information up, uh, making sure that uh, the way that we do it, make sure that if you know if there's 
a bomb in, in one uh, set of records, it may not necessarily contaminate all, right? I mean, we saw in the Sony case, every single backup was corrupted. So one backup after another kept destroying it. And then all of a sudden, your data set is so old that it really becomes problematic, as, as was the case with, with Sony. Um, how are we doing overall? And how would you characterize now the partnership and where it is uh, between government uh, and industry. Maybe take that first question first, and then and then we can talk a little bit more about the public-private uh, cooperation and the kind of future we have to chart. Especially, for example, as we saw in the story yesterday in the New York Times, you know the the you know how closely, for example, Microsoft is beginning to work, uh, for example, with the U.S. government. Right. So, uh, back in the uh, early early to you know 2010, 12, 13 timeframe when we were working with the financial sector, we saw their budgets double. These are the individual banks, their, their, their cybersecurity budget doubled tremendously by, by, by millions and millions of dollars. And, but the, what, also double, what also grew with that is the complexity of their systems and complexity is a component of their cybersecurity. And the more complex, the more difficult it is to secure. So these are interwoven systems and no system is 100% secure. What they've done a really good job of is securing the system and managing the risk that they have to their institution so that uh, the losses are, uh, are manageable and predictable and they can operate on the day-to-day uh, w- without having a, a cyber incident be catastrophic. Does that mean they don't occur? They're still occurring every day, but the idea of reducing that risk is something that they have really come a long way. And that has come through several uh, initiatives, not just they're protecting their own security. There's standards that weren't there before. There's reporting requirements that weren't there before. There's external review that wasn't there before. And there's also better technology. There's the people are trained better now, but we still have a long way to go. But, uh, you know, you mentioned the public-private partnership. The idea of responding to an incident, that often, uh, before it used to be that we're going to respond ourselves and we're not going to include other people. But the reality is a cybersecurity incident or, or any catastrophic incident, you have to depend on third parties to uh, not only respond, but they also may, may be part of the, uh, the risk equation. They're the ones introducing some of the risk. So there's some uh, shared responsibility there. And the idea would, is to bring them into the fold, bring them into the discussion, bring them into your incident response planning, bring them into your exercises so that in time of crisis, you could respond. At, and we, uh, we use this term, uh, I use this term from, from Kobe, at, you respond at the speed of trust and you have both trust in the people, but you also have trust in the systems on what they can and what they can't do. And which I mentioned complexity and we, we might touch on this on acceleration of things, but we'll get back to complexity in a second. Well, so let's, let's um, talk about uh, complexity um, because just just talk about complexity because I know it's an issue that you spend a lot of time thinking. Sure. About. So so we talk about where if we had one dollar to spend, where would we spend it in cybersecurity? 
and they're strategic, operational, and tactical. You know, tactical is the thing that you're doing right now, right in front of you. Strategic is the big vision on where you want to go, and then operational somewhere in the middle, you know, the day-to-day of what, what you're doing. And we're spending a lot of money, and there's a lot of initiatives, great successes being had in education and training. But the result of that comes years later, and you, you don't see an immediate response to that. But we're never going to bridge that talent gap to have enough people who are trained and qualified to defend uh, at the rate we're going now. I mean, it's, it's measured in millions that we're short people, uh, qualified people. So what has to change? Uh, I mentioned that they're spending a lot, of, a lot more money. The industry is, and we're coming up with uh, better ways and systems are interwoven, but that's adding complexity. Complexity is an area that we are not, I argue, we are not paying enough attention to. Why do I say that? If you look at a lot of the software security tools that an organization has, they have a security stack that is on paper, looks phenomenal. But then if you dig into it, they also have a lot of that security that they're not using. It's not managed correctly, it's not configured correctly, it's not implemented, and there's dependencies on other systems that don't bring uh, the full power of that tool to bear against a threat. Part of that is because the system itself is a system of systems, and the complexity makes it very difficult to garner the full benefit of any one tool. So you end up having to get other tools to make up for that. And every time you add something else, there's more connections there and and you have that network effect of adding complexity, the more nodes you have in the the system. And I think we need to reduce the complexity. And so what is the architectural view, right? John uh, Co-Francesco from Fortress Information Security joined us last week. You know, he talked about the importance, you know, that that it's, you know, a lot of what we're seeing is very positive in terms of the moves the administration's making, the seriousness of the talent that's putting in position. We saw the Senate yesterday pass uh, the um, uh, cyber incident reporting legislation and, and um, uh, modernization of FISMA, the um, Federal Information Security Management Act. Uh, right. I mean, it was an act that required reform. Um, ultimately, as we design this future security architecture, and, and you've joined us on the program a couple of times, JC, where you've made the case, for example, we're not we're not training people the right way. We're, we're never you, you even noted that. Right. I mean, we're millions of people short uh, of what we're going to need. And, and the ball game now is getting uh, very different. Right. Good, good. You know, on you know, if we're lucky, Vladimir Putin you know, falls and turn a new leaf, better Russian government, or this just becomes a persistent, much more hostile uh, environment, as we're also seeing from the Chinese. What, what is the approach that we need as we go into this new period to, to, to mitigate, to get perhaps the, the advantages that that complexity allows us, but also address the potential disadvantages of that com- complexity, which is vulnerability? So let's talk about the policies. Uh, the policies are good. This, the administration right now is really taking an, a, a very positive uh, actions in, in establishing policies and tackling some of the, the more challenging issues that, uh, quite frankly, are, are hard. And so people avoid them because they try to go to the easy wins. But in this case here, they are tackling the hard. And 
what CIS is doing, what the administration is doing in the White House and all the different teams, uh, they're moving in the right direction. Now, the question is, do the policies and the procedures line up and do they serve the constituents, the target audience? Uh, what One thing that concerns me when you talk about a, a mandatory anything is what protections is that going to afford private industry? And the, the policy was just released, so I have not had a chance to, to read it. But if this policy uh, is has a potential of being punitive, then there's going to be an incentive to not report. So how do we create the environment where there's an incentive to report without exposing the organization, uh, putting them at risk that they, that is by policy, it's creating that risk. So it's something that we really have to take into account when we look at the policies, the procedures, the practice, and the maturity of the discipline, because you can ask an organization to do something, but if the discipline itself, which cybersecurity in the grand scheme of things is still a very uh, young discipline compared to many others. So we don't all agree on what right looks like. We don't agree on what you know, some people call the first principles of cybersecurity. And then some would argue there are no such thing as first principles in cybersecurity, that this is uh, a different type of discipline that it's, you can't define it that precisely because it's of the complexity of the system of systems. And so you have to look at it from a, a lens that this is a, a living organ, organism with moving, it has a moving target. So as the system evolves, those policies have to be able to cover it, not just today, right now, but where it moves to in the future. And the idea that the policies, procedures, and practice all align to uh, the discipline's capabilities themselves, because you can't ask an organization to do something that the tools themselves aren't capable of doing. And right now, a lot of it is humans working with the machines, the machines are not necessarily perfect. Neither are the humans. We, we talk about that talent gap over and over and over again, but we have to really make sure that we're not setting up to expose those who uh, are the victim of a cyber attack. It doesn't excuse you for not being prepared, but we don't wanna re-victimize uh, the victim. Um, let me let me ask you one uh, last question about defending uh, forward. Uh, there is a perception uh, that, um, you know, I don't want to put any more stock in this, even though I have a lot of confidence in uh, General Nakasone uh, and the team at U.S. Uh, Cyber Command, but that we're we may be doing a better job defending forward uh, across a, you know the, a vast part of this attack surface. Uh, the warnings went out weeks and weeks and weeks ago. So private industry has been stepping up. Banks have been stepping up. You know, everybody has been battening down the hatches. Um, you know, I know folks, uh, you know, as, as, as you did, right? I mean, you were in the business until just very, uh, you know, uh, you know, just literally days ago where um, folks were making the list, the to-do lists, checking it twice. You know, have we got the kind of um, uh, measures in place to protect ourselves? Is defending forward now paying dividends? And 
are we evolving the public-private partnership quickly enough? Mike Rogers, Admiral Rogers has been uh, a frequent guest on this show, driving home that point uh, about the the importance of it. Um, are 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 both of those paying dividends now, or is it too early to tell? Given how many bombs the Russians likely have planted and just not yet activated, not not to sound too negative about this, right? Is 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 his revenge going to, you know, are we, are we going to be tasting that over the coming weeks and months? So, Unfortunately. You know, you know, th- that's a great question, but uh, it, the idea that uh, what you saw, what we saw on the reports of the intelligence you know, being ahead of anything Russia was going to do, we exposed it. The United States exposed that this is what they're going to do ahead of time. Uh, whatever false flag they planted, we expose that you're going to, we know where you're going to plant this false flag. We know that you're doing these, uh, these operations and, and we announced it. Are we doing it better than we did yesterday? Uh, keep in mind that what General Nakasone is doing and what Admiral Rogers did and what General Alexander's also did they didn't publicize any of this. So whether they're doing it better or not, I think for this particular operation, because it's very much in the, uh, in the public eye and the perception to Putin, let him know that we know what you're doing. We weren't the people who were the target audience for that. Right. It was, it was the uh, others were, were the target audience for that. And a strategic decision was made to make those activities, those actions public. I would venture to say that that capability existed yesterday too. There just wasn't a need to make it public at that time. And you use the tools that are available to you for the type of threat that you're, that you're countering. You know, I, I read one of the reports here about there's not as many cyber attacks going on in Ukraine as uh, it was anticipated. Well, I, I can't comment on whether there's more or less than what was anticipated because I didn't have the list of what was anticipated beforehand and what's actually being done. But you also have to think about what is the objective that uh, Vladimir Putin is trying to achieve. If it's he's trying to take over the country, well, you take over the country by putting soldiers in the country. That's not a cyber attack. The cyber is an enabler to to that. So the idea of what is that strategic objective and does cyber play a role in that strategic objective? In our case here, I would assume uh, General Nakasone did not consult me on this, and uh, he knows a lot more than I do. is that this was a strategic objective to release that information so that the audience that was intended to receive it could see it. And we also uh, were able to see it, but we weren't the intended audience. And there's a cost of releasing that kind of information because the the sources that they, they came from could be compromised forever. In other words, we can't do that again. You only get one chance to expose it. That being said, it was, it was a strategic decision made to release that information. And so you have to look at what the threat that you're facing 
and what is the appropriate tool to use at that time. And in this case here, if it is the case that they're not, the Russians are not using cyber as, as much as was anticipated, well, they're probably because that's how they're assessing their success isn't going to be by cyber. It's by putting boots on the ground. You know, a 17 mile convoy of trucks has a greater statement, a visual statement than a denial of service. Right. But if you can predict the threat, you could and, and let them know that's what you're going to do. That has a, a, an effect also. And, and uh, last question, are we uh, partnering public private as well as we need to be? And are there already some lessons to be learned from this? Last question. There, there's always lessons to be learned. And right now, what we're, what we're observing and being observed is everything that we're doing, that they're doing, that the Ukrainian, on, uh, Ukrainian army is doing, everybody is taking lessons for the next event on what to do and what not to do. Hopefully we won't ever fight this, uh, this war again or this battle again, but the lessons learned from here are going to carry forward what worked and what didn't work. The public-private partnership, uh, I did have a, a few friends that went into Ukraine to defend their infrastructure and got caught up in all of that, but we, we were able to get them out. But that is private entities uh, going in to work with uh, critical infrastructure to uh, defend it. It is essential to have that public-private partnership because especially in the United States, when most of our critical infrastructure is run by the private sector, it might be regulated in some instances by the federal government, but these are state and local municipalities that are running the critical infrastructure. We have to work together with our service providers, uh, the Microsofts that are out there, the uh, cybersecurity companies, but also anyone who's also producing uh, your third-party vendors who are introducing risk to your environment. We have to have some type of transparency and some mechanism to exchange information so we can better secure our environment from all threats. Are, uh, I, 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 I lied, this is the last question. Um, are we doing better as defenders? Um, are we making enough progress? Because every once in a while, even if you've made enormous amounts of progress, the threat's changing, the environment's changing, and, and you never, you know, this is a community that never wants to rest on its laurels. Are we making the kind of progress we need to be? Is this encouraging where we are and where we're going from, from your perspective? Or is this something where we still got a lot of work to do? Well, I, I think we're we're making strides. So what Jen Easterly has has created, the assistant director, as to give an example in Log4J, she was working with the community and posting updates that were actionable to the private sector and the public sector. And we were all using the same source of truth on what to do next, even as it changed and it changed uh, faster than anybody wanted it to change, but that was a single source of truth that everybody was referring to. And that was coordinated by CISA. And that was the, that, that's a great example there of the public-private partnership where uh, the knowledge is being shared and to create actionable information for uh, anyone who subscribes to, to, to the instructions that they were putting out. So 
I think that's a great example right there of where it worked. And now you see at a global scale now, some of these challenges that we're facing at Ukraine, uh, in Ukraine, they're asking for help, uh, talking about this cyber army, cyber defenders to come in and help Ukraine. And you're seeing a response. Uh, people are stepping up. Organizations are stepping up. So we are definitely on, on the right path. JC, always a pleasure having you on the program. Uh, best of luck to you and uh, already looking forward to having you back on the show. Thanks so very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Vago. Always a pleasure. From cyberspace to outer space, Northrop Grumman cyber technology spans all domains and all aspects of national security. We are delivering the next generation of cyber capabilities that protect our nation and its allies. Visit northropgrumman.com forward slash cyber to learn more.